Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is the first of our Elevate debate series, featuring industry leaders and Elevate experts supporting and defending an approach, a viewpoint, or a practice. We're starting strong, featuring Elevate's co-founder and head of innovation, Pratik Patel, with Jason Barnwell, Microsoft Assistant General Counsel and leader of Modern. Modern is driving the strategy and execution to digitally transform and modernize Microsoft's legal department practices and ways of working. Out of the gate, Pratik introduces our topic, and 18 minutes in, Jason introduces a Socratic question that should be the screensaver on every legal and business person's device. All right. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining today. This is the beginning of a series of podcasts that we want to do that really challenge different topics. I know that you're always going to be genuine in in your opinions and thoughts. The topic that I selected today was really one focused on something that I think has been swirling around the market for a while, the role of the general counsel. We've been having a lot more conversations with GCs that are really focused on driving value for the enterprise. And the statement I made to one of my colleagues that I'd like to talk about today is, if you're a general counsel and you can't drive 1% earnings, you should step aside. And it was a facetious comment, but it was one that drove to the fact that general counsel should be focused on the business and the enterprise, really helping the enterprise more than just focusing on the practice of law or being kind of pigeonholed into the general counsel's office and focused only on that element of the business. So I thought to talk about that with you today and pass some ideas back and forth and see where you landed on that. Getting into the spirit of let's you know have different opinions, let's have strong opinions loosely held. The caveat I would offer is nothing I offer today should be construed as any type of formal position of my employer. And this is really just a thought exercise between Pratik and, and myself to figure out what might the world look like and what directions could things go. And with that, I'm ready to mix it up. Let's do it. So what's your initial thought? Should the general counsel's role or part of their role be to drive percentages of earnings per share or value to the bottom line? Yes. And so let's make it spicy. So I think 1% is not enough. And I'll try to unpack why I think that that's maybe not ambitious enough. You offer two different formulations. And I think one is probably the one I would focus on. So one approach would be you know, effectively earnings per share. And that's good. But I would be more focused on long-term value. And that isn't always reflected in uh, quarterly earnings. I think one of the things that is really, really important in, let's just say, a legal function, but I think that's one of the parts of your business that you want to be focused on long-term value. Sure. In many ways, it is balance against some of the other parts of your business that can be very fixated on short-term value. And so that's where I think if you're a general counsel, you probably want to be intentional about making sure that you're thinking about the two different measures and trying to steer more of your contribution to that long-term value than the earnings per share which shows up quarterly because that will impact how your team executes and how you create value for the enterprise. So my first point of dissent would be, (laughs) if I'm steering the ship as a GC, I'm probably going to over-index on the long-term value because I think that's likely how my organization would contribute to the enterprise as a whole. So that's my first dissent. I both agree and disagree, meaning I agree with the fact that I think you're right. I think enterprise value, long-term value is ultimately the goal. I personally believe that general counsel are struggling to figure out how to demonstrate that. I'll be completely transparent. I think even the earnings per share is a misfire in some cases. 
in the last three months, we were with the general counsel that had thought that the value contribution to the enterprise was earnings per share. We got into the situation where the CEO said, look, on a normal day, that would actually be the case. We're actually in a cost-cutting mode. Jason, one of the things that I'm thinking about is earnings per share is almost a baseline. I think it's going to end up being a baseline for how we correlate and drive value for the law department. But I think there's also going to be some other categories there, such as cost management to the enterprise, speed to revenue that may have different forms of benefit. But the earnings per share one was so concrete and translated so well across the enterprise that I thought maybe that's at least the bare minimum. The challenge I see with going with earnings per share, and you started hinting at something, is is really twofold. So one is a little bit more conceptual, but if you're focused on earnings per share, that's what you're going to get. And my concern would be, what kind of moral hazard are you inviting without a more thorough investigation? Because one of the ways that we can juice up earnings per share is to not do some of the things that we should do to protect the long-term shareholder value, right. right? Like yeah. we can take on outsized risk. And so if there's smart risk, which is there's a cone of uncertainty and we think that on you know net on a discount adjusted basis, it's good for the enterprise, then great, you do that. My concern is when you get overly simplistic about the outcome metrics, you invite people to do things that are a little bit silly. But you started pointing at something that is probably the path forward. Because ultimately, the enterprise value is the discounted earnings per share over the infinite timeline. And so on some level, we are trying to get to that. It's just a question of what horizon do we care about? And I think we want to care about a longer horizon. One of the things you started hitting at is because it's very hard to work back into the other ways that you would identify other indicators of how you're creating value for the enterprise. And you started enumerating some that I think are really smart. When you're saying words like the velocity, that's when I start to get really intrigued as like, yes, when I start thinking about how I put structure around the inputs and the outputs of the work that we do that basically form the subunits of how we deliver services to the enterprise, that starts giving me better targeting on the behavior. So the processes that fundamentally support how our organization supports the business. And the more information we start having about how we actually do that on a repeatable basis, we can start measuring the impacts on the things that, you know, honestly, I think the CFO is probably the person who would give us like, hey, this is the most balanced, elegant approach to the things that we think we care about over whatever the appropriate horizon. As we start getting smarter about mapping out the processes that do feed into that, then we can start basically using the scientific method to change our approach, right? We can run experiments, we can come up with hypotheses, we can change our behaviors, then we can see how that feeds into the value metrics that we all agree are the best and most balanced proxies for enterprise value. And with that, I'll say that reconciles half of the opportunity. So if you think about the way people think of a conventional legal department, I think a lot of what they focus on is very reactive. There's a dispute, or there's a deal, or there's a regulatory inquiry, or something happens. And then there's a chain of events that the legal department will pick up and they'll provide options. They might remediate some things. But I don't think that that is the fullness of the role of the CLO or the GC as you think about really the future of how it delivers value to the enterprise. The other thing that a GC can do is basically become a storyteller that helps the market better receive whatever it is the enterprise is going to do. So one of the big challenges that I think we see, especially for enterprises that are effectively innovating 
out in front of the regulatory environment because they're bringing together all these amazing experiences and capabilities. Effectively, you have a world that doesn't yet know how to reconcile some of the things that are trying to be put right. into market. And that's why I say 1% probably understates the capacity for a GC to contribute to the enterprise, especially if you are in a highly innovative industry where effectively, if you can help the market reconcile the goodness that comes from what your company wants to do and the strategy that it's going against, potentially you are creating market expansion potential for the enterprise that goes way beyond 1%. One hypothesis is your business or a huge material portion of it, it will not be allowed to exist. And then in the other one, oh, yeah. guess what? Your business would be allowed to exist. That can be a massive contribution, but that requires going far beyond the reactive and going into the proactive. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. I agree with the fact that 1% may be a fraction of the true value the general counsel can drive, but I'm going to give you the opposite, a journey and how it ends up. So the IACCM came out with a survey because they were trying to figure out if you improve the entire life cycle of contract management, what's the actual value the general counsel or the head of sales or head of procurement can say it adds to the enterprise. I could be wrong and don't quote me on this, but I think if you look at one of the surveys on the leakage of the contract management process, about 9% of net revenue would be kind of net income. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of money, right? And that obviously means of which contracts you can actually touch and improve. And can you partner with sales and procurement? There was a particular general counsel that filtered it down to a scope and said, we're going to drive not 9%, but whatever that percentage was, it equated to about 22 basis points, 0.22% of earnings per share increase. So guess what happens? That was a conservative number across the enterprise. The enterprise was somewhere between a 6 to $10 billion business. When that number hit the head of sales, guess what the head of sales said? That number equates to a $90 million increase in sales revenue, which should be a good thing. When we start looking at things in that light, what are the particular activities we can do at the law department level that can drive something that can potentially increase revenues, maybe add to the bottom line? These numbers become quite large. Tell me if, if you agree or not. The whole idea of us saying to a general counsel or a CEO what the role of the general counsel is, it's quite simplistic. We're here to drive value for the business, whether it be in the form of a 1% earnings per share increase. But we both agree, look, we can't just be managing risk for the business. We're actually driving value. Let's say we agree on the fact that you know we can drive this 1% earnings per share increase, or we can probably even go beyond that. What do you think is going to keep us from doing it? What do we got to solve? The challenge is, I think for businesses, it's going to be really hard to generate super normal returns. The challenge I see is one of culture and capabilities that is coming. And as much as if you are a person who was excited about going to law school because, you know what? I want something that's steady. And then you went into a training environment like, hey, let's look at what happened hundreds of years ago and let's focus on that. And then you went into a work environment it's like, hey, if you can find the least risky way to do this, you're going to keep getting promoted. That's great. So on some level, I think one of our biggest challenges is both a combination of culture and capabilities. And as much as we have systematically created a group of people who by and large, like they're very intellectually capable, but they're not often built to go seek out the new, the different, the weird. And that is where we have them you know, operating at the top of their ticket. Really smart, capable people going out and seeing like the new, weird, and different stuff, and then analyzing that and figuring out like, so what is the path through this? That's where we as an enterprise get the most value. When we put those people on effectively being the operators for known processes and tasks, that is not getting the most out of this amazing capacity that we have. 
The challenge I perceive is that there's, I think, a skills gap. And as much as yep. there's a lot of people who they were trained to basically kind of run the trains on tracks, even though the trains are being more and more automated. So getting them to figure out how to go build new track is hard. But the harder thing is getting them excited to go build new track. If you built much of your kind of identity and who you are and where you get values being like, I'm somebody who runs trains and somebody comes along to you and says, how would you like to build some new railroad tracks? You might be like, I don't know how I feel about that. That is my biggest concern. And I think it ultimately, for me, it feels like the biggest sticking point on the how, because as long as the gravity is pulling people in a different direction, it takes a lot of effort to get them to go to the edge of town. Like if there's comfort that's in the center of town and there's like known good and like, oh, it's, it's happy there. Figuring out how we get them to get excited about the new and the different is I think the thing we need to figure out to get them to really unleash their capabilities so that they bring more value to the enterprise. That's like half of it. But then there's also another part of this, which is getting them to think differently about collaboration. So if you look historically at how people have created value in the legal game, it has been predicated on information scarcity. And that's not where we are now. We're now in this information-rich environment where it's everywhere and it's super plentiful. And so getting people to embrace that, you will create more value in the future, not by being a gatekeeper, not by being the person who sits on like, oh, there's a hidden path to the market. and But really being somebody who synthesizes things that often show up in different domains, getting people to kind of reimagine that their contribution is the synthesizer of information in a place where we share and have access to everything is again, anathemic to how the instruction and the culture works for a lot of what we do. And so those are some of the big kind of sticking points I see to getting to where we need to go. I think that's right. And I know this was meant to be a debate, but I can't say that I disagree with those points. I think there's two other things that I'll add that I've seen. One is who the customer is. Some people view the customer as their internal customer. I think the ones who will truly add value to the enterprise will be the ones who drive their departments to see the customer as the end customer. Because then you can work backwards through everyone's roles into how that customer experience materializes. And it may be that the law department isn't doing anything differently, but something upstream is happening. But at that point, when you put your lens in and say, look, my job as a lawyer or a legal ops professional, more than a level that it is right now is to think about what the end customer's experience is based on what and how I interact in that process is going to be key. And that's a hard thing to do. And I think, Jason, it's come from just where the legal department, the general counsel's office has been positioned in the past. And I think we've made a huge amount of progress in flattening that peer curve, making the general counsel be directly reporting into the CEO or making them be a part of that group. That doesn't mean, even though the org design has changed, that the law departments have come along with the journey of saying, while I may support Jason in XYZ sales function, or I may support you know Nicole in XYZ procurement function, my end customer is actually the customer. That's one mindset shift we have to really work on. The other is the, and I don't know what's the right description of this, but it's the entrepreneurialism and the ability that lawyers have to actually change the outcome. Lawyers by nature are trained to follow precedent, to study the book of law. Obviously, some have a knack for deal-making and driving value or business. But I think that the minimum criteria over time will have to be... We talk about this a lot. And I don't know that it's a new concept, but I'm increasingly learning that even the concept of how we call T-shaped lawyering and these kind of horizontal and vertical axes may not be enough to actually drive the enterprise value. Now, I'm not saying that that makes our job impossible. That goes back to saying, 
what are the bears around the corner? What are the snakes that may bite us? And one of the snakes that I think may bite us is realistically to drive enterprise value, you have to have a flavor of entrepreneurialism built into your training or your passion that allow you to see and move things that don't necessarily sit in your constrained box. If I'm in a role, if I'm an in-house lawyer and you say my role is to manage a commercial transactions function, I may say, okay, that's great. But guess what? Jason's sitting over there and therefore I can't touch what Jason does. No, I think the answer is I can absolutely touch what Jason does, but through partnership and through entrepreneurial deal-making. And let's actually do that together. I think that mindset, it's almost who we look for in certain in-house functions such that they know their boundaries go beyond the law department itself. And that's completely okay. Obviously works better in smaller organizations, but I think more and more as we look at like digital transformation and all the things we're hearing in the market, that stuff doesn't just sit within the four walls of the law department. It's going to actually require much more enterprise cross-collaboration. And that's why I say, whether it's entrepreneurialism or some other quality that I'm not describing well, I think it just is some facet or characteristic of not letting the walls or the boundaries be the definition of where you can play. Well, it seems like we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I'm wanting to disagree. Again, I'm having a hard time. The one thing I would add onto what you just offered is it's a mindset thing that I observe. By the way, I love the idea of really activating entrepreneurialism. That is the thing that if you can do, a lot of stuff gets solved. If people feel like they have agency to make an impact, if they feel invested, they drive change. Where I see people getting stuck, they behave like craftspeople who are responsible for one thing. What they are, they're these amazing critical thinkers who are really good at saying like, oh, this is why this is broken. This is why this is different. This is why this does not apply, so forth and so on. What they really struggle with is systems thinking. And so they have a really hard time. They can, but it is not their native delight to do what you were talking about, which is reach upstream. Like, okay, so where did this come from? And why did it matter there? And, and, and what's going to happen after this? And how could I change what I do to make that better? What I observe is there's a lot of people who really love the craft of the thing that they're doing. And so what they do is they put their heads down and they do that craft. And then they look up 30 years later and, you know, like, oh, hey, because I, I manufactured, you know, 10,000 contracts, what have you. And I'm not exactly sure if it's T-shaped or I'm not sure it's a skills thing. Ultimately, it may be, to your point, how do you attract people who solve, who see the problem space differently and who solve problems differently? And there is a small, and I shouldn't say this, there's a tiny experiment that I run on occasion when I talk to people. And it seems innocuous, but it is a diagnostic that I use. And it sounds something like this. Hey, Pratik, what are you doing? What, so, yeah, what are you doing over there? And you Hanging out with Jason. Like, okay, I'm just curious. Like, how does that connect to like the thing that we were trying to do here? It is not like, please stop doing it. It's literally just, if you apply that lens to the effort that you apply when you're doing your work, then it tends to reorient you towards the top line stuff that matters, right? And if you have to basically say like, so let's do this exercise on me right now. So I'm talking with Pratik. We're supposed to be disagreeing about stuff. We're doing a terrible job. Um, <laughs> but what I'm doing right now is I am thinking about what is the future that we would need to build that would enable us to really empower Microsoft business. I have gained access to one of the preeminent experts in the world who thinks about this. And I'm basically getting free advice and consultation from one of the world's experts. And so I'm going to go back to my work. And now I'm going to be able to do that more effectively. Similarly, because we're having this conversation and you're going to share it out, we can effectively condition the market to receive 
our theory of value as something that is valid. And that will hopefully accelerate some of the systemic changes that we want to see so that we as an employer of like a direct employer, but also as a buyer of services, will have greater access to what we think we need to be successful in the future. And so I don't know that you have to do that for every single task you do in the day. But as a general matter, like I'm always wanting to be able to tell a good story that explains why the efforts that I am going after on behalf of my employer are aligned with the mission. And my concern is that I'm not sure that everybody has access to that. And I don't even know if they ever even think about it. And so the net result of what we see is, on some level, I suspect many organizations, I think ours is actually really good at this because we go through these periodic processes of like, what are we doing? But I've had many conversations with colleagues at other shops, and it sounds like their departments are basically on zombie behavior. And as much as at some point in the past, somebody said we should do this, and nobody ever asked why. And when you go ask somebody like, yeah. so why do you do that? They're like, oh, because I've always done it like that. Like, what? That is not an explanation. It goes back to the purpose. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. The purpose of why are we working so hard? Why are we doing things inefficiently? Why are we spending our nights and weekends? And whether it be the fact that we're trying to drive that 1% that we talked about or something else, I think it's incredibly important. At some point, this market identifies what that purpose is. And then one thing I'll leave you with, Jason, and maybe for a different time is, what if you're that person that says, well, I'm not in a transactional practice. Velocity, that's not something that I can impact. Guess what? I'm the person who actually sits there and takes on the litigation. Now we go into the realm of, hey, if you're there, do you have the ability to generate and drive that 1%? I would say yes. I don't know what you think, Jason, but maybe we'll leave that for a different time and a different topic. And I know that it's been enjoyable. So thank you, Jason, for debating, sharing ideas and topics and joining us today. I think I've done a terrible job of debating you. I don't think I honored the mission at all, but I appreciate that you gave me the opportunity to learn from you. And I have absolutely some thoughts on how litigation uh, intersects with what we're talking about. And I look forward to picking that up at a future time. Figure you do. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com. 